y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, the guys review Carpe Diem and Cloud Age. Donna and I sit down with the guys to discuss Sagani and Royal Visit. And that's it. Ha! Y'all know better than that. Unfortunately, you may hear about Venus flytraps and fish sandwiches. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 223. Help me out. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Tony, are you a Maroon 5 fan? I enjoy watching The Voice from period, uh, periodically, but um, okay. I'm, I know some of the songs, but to be honest with you, I just said, you know, it's time to mix it up. You were getting on me about using the same songs over and over recently. Uh-huh. I said, well, I know I haven't used a Maroon 5 song. When we get on, I never know what Tony's going to call the episode. And he always tries to pick out a song that has to do with something in the episode. And so, Tony, I'm looking over the show notes. You're going to have to help me out on what this is about because, I mean, so our our big uh, individual review, we're doing several reviews. We're doing, uh, you and I are doing one of Carpe Diem. So Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing the tie in there. You and Don are going to do a review of a new Uwe Rosenberg game that I I can't wait to hear about. And then uh, Vanessa and I are going to do a review of a two-player game that you don't even know what it is because I haven't told you yet. (laughs) So I'm not sure what help me out comes in. Well, it continues to be with the fact that we really haven't had a game night in a while. So we're getting our wives to help us out again. Fair. I ended up coming down. Oh, yeah. How's the weather in North Carolina right now, Marty? Oh, okay. The reason why I asked that, because he's sitting down in where in Florida? I'm in Bradenton, Florida, just below Tampa. Why don't you tell me what the high is there today, please, sir? It moderated around 82 today, and then we had some afternoon thunderstorms. Cooled it off to a balmy 76. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what you're missing here? You're basically missing like three or four days of constant drizzle and rain with temperatures not getting into the 40s. And I am miserable. Weather really affects my attitude and outlook Mm -hmm. and stuff. And when it's nothing but gray and rain and drizzle, I'm a grumpy Marty. I'm sorry, man. We should have just loaded up in the car with us and come on down. And I'm helping my in-laws paint a house. You know, it was something they needed us to come down, help them out. And I was happy to do that. Now, I have been on calls for two days because of my job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing. This, This, we're working remotely. It works. It works, but it means you can't get away from it. Because just like it means, oh, well, if you're working remotely, you can always be in touch. You can always jump in a Zoom or Teams meeting. Absolutely. No matter the day or the time, mm-hmm. you can, as long as you've got internet, which is a challenge, because um, we're coming over a MiFi signal on a phone right now. We're doing really good. I'm proud. It's better than my internet at my house. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 pretty solid connection here. And so, yeah, you we didn't get to get together and play uh, this past week. You're going to be gone this week. We're not going to get together and play. So hopefully next week before our next episode, oh, yes. uh, uh, we can play. Uh, but however, Bert and I did get together and uh, we uh, played some new games and stuff. One that I've been had sitting on the table that we haven't got a chance to play yet. I've just been dying to is Cloud Age uh, from Cap. So, so wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. So there's another one. Help us out, Bert. Help us out. We got to get a game reviewed. Help us out. Yep, yep. And so he did that. So we played Cloud Age by Alexander Fister. And uh, you know, uh, Alexander has probably one of the games that you and I probably still rank way up there as far as Euro's Great Western Trail, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fantastic yes. game. And uh, last year we got to try out his Maracaibo. Did you play that one? Man, last year I don't know. We, I, actually, I look back as we work on the squirrelies and see how many we played, and I 
thought I had, but I just, I did a very, very poor job of marking the games I've played. Ah, uh, I'm actually trying to do better this year. I'm trying to use the uh, BGG app, uh, you know, on mm-hmm. the phone, and I'm trying to track that stuff. Bert does that stuff all the time, and now he d- he does a good job at, at the end. He'll just air air share or air swap, whatever it is you do on the iPhone, where basically he sends me the, the data so that I have it in my app so that it syncs up so that I haven't got to put it in. But I still try to remember to put it in for whenever I play Arkham Horror, et cetera, and stuff too. So I'm trying to do a better job of tracking that myself. I don't know if my Pixel has a good app for that. It's always been about the iPhone app. Well, wait so a minute. I have to go check that out. Doesn't BG Stat, I mean, isn't that app on Android also? I don't know. I, something, hey, once again, something I need to go check out. Because a while back, I know it didn't work very well. I know it was there. Yeah. but Or or it may have been, it was on my old phone. And then when I swapped over, I didn't load it up and I didn't even think about it. It's been heavily revamped. Uh, the user interface is a lot easier. The synchronization between the website, BGG, and your phone is a lot easier. So, you know, if you go and log on the website, it'll automatically sync down to your phone, vice versa. Because uh, with the app, you can log in with your BGG account and get everything synced mm-hmm. up. So, uh, yeah, it's useful. I know some people like track every little detail. How many people did I play with? Who are they play with? What was the final score? I don't need to know that. I just really want to know what was played and what wasn't played. Because then, like you said, at the end of the year, when it's time for the score release and stuff, I can at least go back and look through, okay, all the games I played and start ranking them and setting them up and everything. Absolutely. So back to Cloud Age. Yeah, so Cloud Age, to me, uh, has a feel of Mario Kaibo in that Mario Kaibo, you you kind of, it had kind of a legacy feel in that as you progress through different scenarios of the campaign, more cards were added, more effects were added, the board was changed, etc. So that is offered here, which is nice. But however, I'm not a big legacy type person. I know that the times that I get Cloud Age to the table, and there are seven chapters in this campaign that it may be weeks, you know, when I go to play chapter five to chapter six and have to remember, you know, what happened last time and stuff. That's why these games typically don't appeal to me. But what I like about this one is that, or you could just, they have three standalone scenarios. Okay, now this is nice because the board and the cards and stuff are set up depending on whichever scenario you play. So we decided to play uh, one of the scenarios that basically has everything in it. And uh, the the gist of the game is that uh, there was a worldwide catastrophe, and now the uh, this is in the future. And basically, you're controlling blimps, and you're trying to uh, collect resources, uh, trying to uh, rebuild the world, basically. And you need to, to find water, etc. So that's kind of lightly what what the theme is. But you uh, have an airship that each of you control and you're trying to upgrade over the course of the game. And then you have a map, a hex-based map that you build at the beginning of the game based upon the scenario. You start at one end and every turn you're moving uh, across uh, this map. And there's these different cloud cities all on the map and you always must end your turn inside of a cloud city. But in between the areas as you move, you can collect additional resources and stuff like that. So the whole goal here is, guess what? You're trying to get the most victory points. So what is it that's different between this and other games? I'm trying to think whether it's like, so you didn't get to play. Just I don't think we said that. For, you didn't ever ch- had a chance to play it. Uh, so I'm trying to think, you know, would Tony like this? Bert and I were talking, would Tony like this? Did he like Maracaibo? Would he, would he appreciate this? Me, when it comes to Euros, I love games that have phases. You know, we have very detailed phase. Phase one, we're doing this. 
phase mm-hmm. two, we're doing this. That's kind of what this one has. So it's broken up over phases and it's very straightforward what these phases are. So at the very beginning, uh, you're going to basically have a production phase. You got this really cool board where you start out on the left side of the board. And during the production phase, you can pay water is kind of your main, one of your main resources. There's water and metal. So you, you can spend water in order to get energy, which is another resource that you need to manage and energy spent all during, during the game. So you got that production phase board over the course of the game. You can actually move your token across the production phase board so that later in the game, you can get more energy by paying more water because by that time, hopefully you can generate more water to generate more energy and you're going to need more energy, et cetera. So very straightforward. I'm going to produce some energy. You got a navigation deck. So this has a little bit of a deck building mechanic to it. Okay. So everybody starts with the exact same starting deck. This deck has some numbers on it. You're going to flip over the top two cards. The lowest card, lowest value card you're going to use to either give you energy, just like it's like one, two, or three. It's like, hey, I'll just take two energy. Or you can get project cards. Again, what are project cards? Well, there are these things. You can pay a certain amount of resources. And like in typical fashion, some of them are instant. You get a one-time ability. Some are ongoing, et cetera. So very standard fare so far, right? So there's nothing really unique yet. The other card is basically whatever value it is. The higher number is what you can use to move your little airship across the map. Mm-hmm. As you move across the map, if you move into an area that gives you some free stuff, et cetera, you can do that. But you almost always must end in a cloud city. And when you go into a cloud city, there's always going to be some sort of combat. Your airship can be upgraded in three different ways. You can spend metal in order to upgrade your propellers to give you greater movement. You can upgrade your weapons, your, your guns, so that you can have higher attack values. Because when you go in to attack somebody, you're going to count up how whatever your current attack value is. And then you can pay an energy to flip over the top card of your navigation deck. It's going to have some sort of value to it. Add it to whatever your attack value is and see what it is in the city. If you win, you get stuff. That's it. It's kind of way if you if you win the battle, you're going to get some points. You're going to get some water, et cetera, like that. If you don't pass, you can always spend two more energy to keep flipping over cards if you want to, to try to beat it. But then you're blowing through your energy if you do that. So after all that is said and done, you've moved and everything like that. It's time to get to what I think was the more interesting part. So here, this is kind of has a follower mechanic. I've never not heard this term before, but you know, in Puerto Rico, where each of us will pick a role, whatever role that you uh, pick, usually have some sort of bonus. If you pick it, you're the first one to pick it because you pick that one, you get some sort of special like uh, action with it. This is kind of the way, the same way, because there's these, uh, cards that you can add to your navigation deck one of three cards you can add to your navigation deck and you'll take one of your pawns and put it underneath the card and each of the card the cards will give you one of four different resources you can either draw some additional project cards or get some water or get some energy or get some metal but here's where it's kind of different you're given clear sleeves and i had to put cloud stickers on them okay so it was a transparent sleeve and I had to affix a cloud sticker to it. You're going to take eight of those navigation cards, shuffle them and put them into the sleeve. So all you can see is like the outer edge of the card. And if you closely look and maybe you could see if you see more water on the outside of the 
the divisible area of the card, then that probably has more water than other stuff. If you see more metal, it may give you more metal. Every card is, is going to give you three of something, two of something, and one of something, and one of something. So this was kind of the odd part, Tony. It's like, okay, I, I really need metal. So let me examine each of these three stacks of cards that are hidden behind these clouds. And which one looks like it has metal more prominent in the background? And then you stick your token there, and then the other people will stick their tokens on the other places. You pull the sleeve out and resolve. You know, if Bert had put his on the water, he'd get to have much water as indicated. I would get the metal, etc. So that's the part, Tony, that I thought was a little different. Okay. And I was following you up to, so you're putting stickers on stuff. And, and in this action, that's the follower action. That's what you're going to do. Dude, someone's going, is this, is Bert going to stick his on a different one? No, he will stick okay. his on the same one. So if say okay. I'm, I'm first player, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to put my pawn underneath this one card. Bert must also put it in one of the other available slots on that card. And, and if we're playing multiple players, more people do the same. Reveal the card. Everybody gets something. Uh, there might be some bonuses when you pull it out. It's like, hey, if you happen to pick the water, guess what? You also get to call one of your cards from the navigation deck. Like one of them is a zero. Okay. You want to get rid of the zero. One of them will let you maybe draw some additional project cards. So then after that's resolved, then let's say it's Bert's turn. Then he goes and picks one of the three cards and puts his pawn there. And then I must put my pawn in the same, under the same card. And if you're playing, you'd have to do the same thing. Then if it's okay. your turn, you get to do it too. So there's the three cards there, but there's also the place to go build. Remember I talked about being an upgrade. I can go there and do a build action or two build actions where I can upgrade any of my ships. Or maybe I can take one of those project cards that's in my hand, pay the resources and put it into play and use it. So that's where... The cards kind of give you some additional, make, might give you some attacks. They might say, you know, give you some additional movement. I could spend the metal in order to upgrade my ship. I could upgrade the weapons, etc. So it's at this point, you're kind of engine building with mm -hmm. the project cards that you've built and then upgrading your ship. So this, I think that's the unique part of the game in that phase right there. Okay. So, uh, and I guess what I'm, I'm trying to picture is you've got these cards hidden behind sleeves. After you've pulled one, it's out of play. Okay. I did not explain that well. Whoever put okay. their pawn there first actually gets that card and it goes into their navigation deck. Okay. So that's also how you do a little bit of the deck building because some of those cards have a value of four on it. That four is super valuable. Some of them have, a, uh, have only a two, but if you select that one, you might get a bonus because one thing I haven't talked about is little hex tiles that you can collect over the course of the game that can actually go on the map. Some of those cards allow you to draw these tiles out of the bag, and that's the other action you get to do. So you can either claim a card, do a build action, or put tiles on the board. And these tiles, when you put them on the board, they may give you an instant victory points. They may give you instant resources, etc. That's just a free action that you could do, but you can also upgrade. So when the game starts, if you take that action, you can only put down two tiles. But you can upgrade your ship that maybe the next time you could put three tiles down or four tiles down. So just taking that action, like Bert upgraded, that's part of his ship. And he took that action, was able to put down four tiles. And he had four tiles that were two points apiece. So basically two, four, six, eight points. Thank you. It's like, wow, mm. that, that was a sweet little move right there. So he took the path of, I'm going to be putting down a bunch of tiles to get resources and victory points. I was trying to go the combat path. Every time I went into a, a city, I wanted to just, you know, win the combat so I can earn victory points and get a lot of extra resources and stuff. 
So again, it's that phase, which I just talked about, which I think is the most interesting of upgrading your ship, adding cards to your deck. So there's a deck building element. And then there's a, there's a cleanup phase there at the end. Was it fresh or, you know how we always talk about on games that are coming out, we're like, okay, what is the fresh idea here? What is it that's going to make me put this game on the shelf and bring this one out instead? Is it the, the card advantage of it after you got the stickers on? What, what is it that says, Marty, put me on the table? So again, I think everything else was kind of, to me, somewhat standard fare. Think about it. We played um, Whistle Mountain, right? So you had your player board. And what could you do with it? You could upgrade things, right? Right. You could take your, guess what? You could take your airships around the board. You can get the components and you could do upgrades on it. All that felt like this. I can move my airship around, get resources. And then there's a phase where I can do the upgrades. The deck building is kind of cool. We've seen some really cool deck building things of the past, this past year. You know, you saw Dune. We saw Lost Ruins of Arnak, which took deck building to a unique uh, level. This does too. The only odd thing is that only a portion of the card is visible. So you know what the value of the card is that'll go in your navigation deck that'll help you for movement and getting resources when you draw those two cords are for combat. But what you're going to get, you're not exactly sure until you pull the card out from out of the sleeve and actually see, oh, so I'll get this much water on this card or this much energy, et cetera. But you've played this. So if I were to come in fresh and never played it, you could probably look at that card and know exactly which one it is. Yes. So as we played the game, we were starting to pick up, okay, wow, yeah, I see along the outer edge here, there's a lot of this particular terrain or this stuff that oh and then there's a, a little legend that's like oh well if you see a lot of this one that means that's you're going to draw a lot of project cards mm-hmm. or you'll get a lot of water or you'll get a lot of energy so yeah you can sort of pick that out but everything else you really can't maybe you could say oh there seems like there's mostly water and maybe second most energy so then you're hoping you know i said one thing will get three one thing will give out two maybe you could pick out that the second thing's a two right i'm curious of why uh, Alexander decided to make that information hidden. I guess maybe because it was too much of an advantage if when I was going to make a selection, I could for sure see what I'll be getting on that card. I'd be curious to see why he thought, let's hide that little bit of information from you. It's interesting and it's a great way to bring in an expansion for sure. You could probably easily bring in an expansion with you know additional scenarios, you know, additional part of the campaign, which introduces cards. To me, it was kind of an easy, an easy game to learn. I love a game that's broken down into phases like this. It's very simple. What do we do on the production phase? Well, I can spend water and get energy. Awesome. Next, flip over the top two cards of your navigation deck. Whichever one's lowest, you can either draw project cards or take energy. The other one is your base movement plus whatever you've upgraded on your ship. Awesome. Going to move my ship. Hey, you need to make a combat. Then you resolve that. And once you have a combat in one city, you can never do it again. When you go to a city, you take there's a row of blocks you have on your player board, and you remove that cube and put it on the city. That's also your round markers, which I think is clever too. So then each there would be a certain point during the game where you, you unlock things on your board. There's little story elements. Depending on the campaign or the scenario, when you cross from one round to another, you have the, a scenario card or campaign card that says, hey, at this part in the game, you get some stuff. You know, something happens. So there's certain things between rounds that may trigger too, based on the campaign or scenario that you're playing. No, I hate I didn't get a chance to play it because I do like the various 
distinct phases that you know what you're doing, as long as they don't get repetitive. Cause you know, we've talked about that in the past where we've been playing a game and suddenly it was like, okay, go through this phase, rinse and repeat. Yeah. You know, where's the variability? Where is the strategy? Where is it that I'm not constantly doing generate this to get this, to get this. Okay. Go back to the beginning. Same thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like, I like the variability from that standpoint. There wasn't a lot of downtime either. Like the production phase, everybody can resolve the production phase at once. Everybody can flip over their top two cards. Now, maybe when you do the movement, you may you probably have to go in turn order because you can't stop on a space where somebody else is. So you have to do that in turn order. But then the next one is when you're putting out your pawns to get the cards or whatever. Well, then everybody gets to act, right? Everybody's constantly involved during that whole portion. So there's very little downtime in the game, which is nice. Now, what's interesting is... I have not let her read a lot of reviews on this game, but seen some that it was like people weren't that crazy about it. They liked seem to like Mari Kaibo better. I think they're both good games. I think I think they're solid games. I don't know that I like one more than the other. I really do appreciate the element of this one of scenarios where I don't have to play a campaign. And six months from now, I can just pull this game off the shelf, pick one of those scenarios, set it up and play without having to remember what happened in the past. That's good. Is it and is it a quick teach? Do you feel like it's a quick teach? I kind of do feel like it's a quick teach because now once again, you just teach the phases in this phase, you're going to do this. Everybody understand that phase in this phase. You're going to do this. Everybody understand that Uh, the icons are very easy and straightforward to follow. So again, you say what makes it stand out to me? What makes it stand out is the one phase where you've got the cards that are partially hidden in those deck sleeves or card sleeves. And you go and put your pawns and resolve those actions, either adding new cards to your deck through deck building, doing upgrades to your ship, or putting new terrain tiles out on the board, which gives you benefits. And it's out. It's and out it, right It now. is out right now from Capstone Games. Alexander Fister, uh, you know, did this one. So, you know, we tend to like his games. We love Great Western Trail. To me, this feels nothing like Great Western Trail. This does not feel like, oh, this is a clone of something else. Uh, even though uh, some people may compare it to Mario Kaibo, I don't know that I exactly do because Mario Kaibo, you know, you constantly went around the island. You know, you had your ships that was going around and you stop at ports and whichever port you stopped at would give you something, etc. To me, this t- seems like it'd be an easier teach than Mario Kaibo. Both would be a fresh teach to me because I don't remember. <laughs> I'm just like that way. Yeah. So again, okay. if, you, if you like Fister, I say, I say try it out. Okay. Uh, again, for me. Great Western Trail is my still my top game from him, especially with the expansion and everything like that. This, I think this one is probably easier to teach than Great Western Trail. I think it plays quicker than Great Western Trail. I think there's less downtime than Great Western Trail. But I love the theme of Great Western Trail, the Western theme, and mm-hmm. the whole c- cool thing of added people adding new buildings over the course of the game. So every time you take that loop through the trail, there's going to be new buildings out there that you can use and take advantage of. Okay. As long as you keep, you know, keeping it fresh. That's yep. the big thing. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, I hate I missed game night, but that's all right. Uh, you know, I'll get back to it. We'll find something else. I mean, we got some more games coming in. Very excited about it. Like you said, Don will be on talking about it. And you've got a game with Vanessa that I can't wait to hear it in post-editing production to find <laughs> out what it is. Hold on. I'll tell you what it is because I got it sitting over here. It is Royal Visit by Yellow Games. Oh, nice. This is a two-player only game, Mm -hmm. plays in 20 minutes. So when Vanessa asked, you know, okay, tell me about this game, two-player only, how long does it play? 20 minutes. 
Okay, I'll do it. So this is like right up her alley right here. Small box game. Uh, this is a brand new game. I'm not even sure if it's available yet. So I'm looking forward to trying this. It's not a co-op okay. game. It's a, it's a head-to-head game. And it uh, looks like, you know, very little components. So setup and everything looks like it's going to be pretty straightforward. It does. So hopefully she'll enjoy that and be able to talk positively about that. See, that's the thing. When I'm not at game night, mm-hmm. there's a lot of positivity on the show. <laughs> Wow. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure how to take that. No, I, well, let's take it what it is. I mean, you know, Vanessa comes on, she's real happy, go lucky, you know, and, and Donna keeps me straight. So there, you know, I, what, what can we say? But, you know, when we get together, you know, I get all negative. All my underwear gets all in a bunch or something. I don't know what the problem is with me. Speaking of underwear in a bunch, maybe you weren't going to speak of that. <laughs> oh, I, I was not going to speak of a bunchy underwear. Uh, we're talking about the wives, and yet we're recording on Valentine's Day. So? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So you know me as well as as anybody, including my wife. You know me that... Valentine's Day is nothing more than a made-up holiday, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a way to sell flowers, candy, and cards. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife 20-plus years ago, I don't play that game. Every day is your Valentine's Day. If I'm not Aww, doing that, that's seriously, sweet. think about it. If you're not doing that, then you are missing it completely. You should not wait for one day. It's a special day to go out on a on a date. No, you're going out and you're paying expensive stuff. There's no <laughs> sense in it. Yeah, I'm grumpy. I'm old. I can't help it. It's the way it is. So we don't we don't have a big deal with Valentine's Day either. We typically will go out and eat, but we typically go before or after Valentine's Day because it's insane exactly. to go out and eat on Valentine's Day. So this morning we went to uh, we wanted to go do a brunch at a place we'd been not in several years to a place called the broken, uh, a broken egg, another broken egg. Do you know what? Mm-hmm. So it's a breakfast brunch place. Really, really nice place. And it was packed. Well, not packed. Took us forever to get in because it was limited, obviously seating. So we had to wait like an hour before we got in. So luckily we had to do a target run. Oh, remind me target run in a second, because there's something really cool that I'm trying to collect and maybe you can help me collect it. Uh, so we ended up coming back and doing that. But, uh, so we went to Lowe's yesterday for going out on Valentine's Day. Let's go buy some picture wire, some new hangers because Vanessa wanted to hang some pictures. And while we were there, Vanessa loves to always go look at the plant section. I was picking up the the picture wire and stuff. And so I went to look for her. I knew where she would be. And she was standing there staring at something. I went, walked up to her and said, what are you looking at? She said, look at this. They sell Venus flytraps here. And mm-hmm. I went, what? She said, yes, a Venus flytrap. And she looked at me and said, we got to get one of these, don't you? I went, yes, we got to get one of these. I've never owned a Venus flytrap. So we bought a little tiny little Venus flytrap to uh, keep in the kitchen. Have you ever had one? I've never had one. I thought Venus flytraps were native to North Carolina. I can't remember. So I didn't know this either. So we're telling Adam, uh, Adam loves plants and planting and stuff like that. And we told Adam about it. And Adam said, yeah, uh, North Carolina is one of the only places you can get them. I went, what? I didn't know Mm -hmm. that. Now, this is going to cost $5 if we're wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, you can get them anywhere, but I think it's a, it's a plant that's native to it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, in the state, I mean, in the states, you should supposedly, and I, I haven't gone out looking for them in the swamps or wherever they are, but I had heard that, you know, that is something about it. I mean, you can get kudzu wherever you want to here, but I think you can also get Venus flytraps. But now you do understand you have to find something to feed it with. Really? I don't know. You need to look this up. So you did a, <laughs> you did a 
impulse purchase with no idea. So if this flytrap survives the next month, is a good sign. So, so hold on. But as it starts warming up, we could probably put it out on our deck and it'd probably be fine. Oh, yeah. Especially if it's native to North Carolina. Absolutely. Well, I'm just you talking know, about for, for, for capturing bugs and stuff. Assuming the bug will land on it. Absolutely. Other than that, I won't see you out there with chopsticks doing the old, uh, whatchamacallit, um, oh, God, karate kid thing. Karate kids. <laughs> trying to feed it. So I think one of the things you could do with it, and I've seen, I remember watching videos as a kid, you could like touch the center of the mouth of the flytrap mm-hmm. and it'll close. And I saw Vanessa, I said, we could do that. She said, that's not nice. We're teasing it. I said, Vanessa, it's it's not have a brain. It doesn't know. It's just a natural response to the touch right there. So I thought that was funny. She said, well, are you going to make it upset if it's nothing there? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, I know. She said, uh, you got to share that, that we got a Venus flytrap for Valentine's Day. So that, that's what we got. Well, I can tell you that in North Carolina, it has a state carnivorous plant, the Venus flytrap. There you go. Everybody else, everybody else has birds, bugs, fish, flowers. We got all that too, and the dog. But we also have a bug-eating plant. There you go, North Carolina. Way to go. I appreciate that. Well, that's good that you were over at the Lowe's. I mean, I helped my mother-in-law remove an old uh, air conditioner out of her um, house down here in Florida. That was my Valentine's Day gift for my wife. Help her mother. Yeah. I know. And so I didn't cut myself or sheetrock or anything like that. And I did learn something. I I did not know that window air conditioners went out through the room. I thought they came out the back. Went out through the room. I'm not following. You you have to lift it out into the room. Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, I guess you do want it that way because somebody could just break into your house by pulling out the air conditioner. Every movie I have seen, the air conditioner (gasps) falls out the window. Oh, that's right. In Seinfeld, there's a classic Seinfeld episode where he he has an AC unit and it falls out the window and hits a dog. That's why I thought it went that way. And she's like, no, it comes the other way. So once again, movie magic has ruined me. <laughs> I, I did not know this. I didn't know that either. See, oh. it's amazing. The things that you learn here. I, then I don't understand this. I was watching commercials the other night. I haven't been into Bojangles in forever. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been through the drive-thru. I did get my Valentine's heart-shaped boo uh, berry biscuits. I, I know it's not boo berry, but that's okay. And I was like, okay. And then I saw a commercial. Their fish sandwich is back. But we've had that before, haven't we? I have. Now, I love a good fish sandwich. Oh, me too. So I assumed that this fish sandwich from Bojangles was going to be some sort of you know white fish that's battered in mm-hmm. their batter that they use for the fried chicken. It's nothing like that. I think it's just a frozen piece of fish they fry up and, and feed you. And it really, really irritated me. Oh, I'm, I, I don't... I remember... I th- trying it and i thought this isn't that great no so once again i've said this many many times we said over the years restaurants stay in your lane mm-hmm. you know domino's pizza started coming out with subs and salad why you go to domino's pizza to get a pizza bojangles chicken and biscuits it's right there on the sign chicken and biscuits that's what you do don't be going outside and doing a fish sandwich i don't go to captain d's and get fried chicken yeah I know. I I don't think I've ever been to a Captain D. 
to get fried chicken or to get fish, matter of fact. It's like they keep bringing it back. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. It's it just why? I, I can't believe there's that big a demand for a fish sandwich from Bojangles Chicken. Well, is there a big demand for a rib sandwich from McDonald's, a hamburger place that doesn't do pork? All right. You got me. You got me. You're right. I stand corrected. That is one example where somebody left their lane and I'm a-okay with it. Yes, you are. And I could pass on it as we've discussed in previous episodes, but that's all right. I mean, that's fine. So on the way down to Florida, 10-hour drive, I got Donna to listen to my Business War podcast. Yes. Yeah. What was this one about? Coke versus Pepsi. (laughs) You keep going back to that. Is that the only one you've listened to? Well, we listened to the first one. Okay. And so we went back and we finally were listening to it. And it was amazing some of the stories like why Coke is so prevalent in the military or why, what was it that made Pepsi suddenly outsell Coke, you know, from the standpoint of it was the Pepsi challenge, mm-hmm. which actually, I didn't know this, almost never got off the ground. Oh. Yeah. The Pepsi challenge was almost never gotten off the ground. And then, of course, new Coke. Ugh, what a fatal error. But was it? It's what propelled them above Pepsi again. When they brought back Coke Classic? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. When they brought back Coke Classic, they uh, that got them above Pepsi again. Do you remember when, at a time, there was both? There was Coca-Cola, and then there was Coca-Cola Classic. And you had mm-hmm. to specifically ask for the Classic, or you're going to get that new nasty-tasting thing. Absolutely. And they said it took them 10 years to phase it away to yeah. where you wouldn't even remember it. And I was just like, man, then they talked about, of course, for you and I, we know all about this, the Michael Jackson commercial for Pepsi. Yep. When his uh, hair caught on fire. Absolutely. And what it took for that to happen, you know, $5 million deal. It's just amazing. I, I enjoy that podcast. Kind of like what people are thinking, would you guys get to something we would enjoy? Okay. 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 How about this? How about We always like to talk about a couple, maybe Kickstarters, right? So I, tonight with Vanessa, another thing we did for Valentine's Day. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for playing. Uh, Inside Up Games, our good friend Connor over there has a new game that's out on Kickstarter right now called Block and Key. This is really cool and it's going to be hard to explain on a podcast. So you just need to go out to the Kickstarter, which will be in our show notes for this section that we're talking about right here for Block and Key. Tony, have you by chance at least seen a picture of this thing? Yes, I have seen a picture. I've seen his little tweets whenever I get over there once a week. Perfect. So, yeah. So you mm-hmm. see that the box for Block and Key is actually the playboard for the game. The one part of the box is the bottom playboard. Mm-hmm. And then he has these cardboard legs that attaches to mm-hmm. the corners. And then you attach the lid to the t- uh, top of those stands so that you got a two-level field, right? Right. All right. So... What you're doing is, and this this is funny, I don't know this is going to be the game for you unless you really love depth perception, 3D objects, and special relationships because that's all this is. His eyes are glazing over. Okay, so what you're going to do is on the underneath uh, the, the bottom board is there's going to be nine polynomial blocks that are there. there oh. I think the most is four blocks and there are some that are just two. And there are several different colors. There's uh, green, there's white, uh, there's brown, there's, there's gray. And uh, you're going to be given these cards at the beginning of the game. Each of you has a set of cards. And it's basically just some sort of combination of blocks. It could be in, in the T shape or it, maybe it shows 
two green and two white beside each other, or maybe it's five green across, doesn't matter what it is. Your goal is to set up the blocks on the upper board so that when you're facing it, you can match what's on the cards that's in your hand. All right. Okay. On your turn, you'll just place a block that's adjacent to an existing block that's on the board and for the goal of trying to match the configuration of a card that's in your hand. Now, here's what's cool. This plays up to four players. Let's say we're playing four players. There's three other players sitting around the table. Mm -hmm. They're doing the same thing, but because they're looking at it from different angles, what they're seeing looks totally different. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Regardless of the depth that I'm staring at, I'm imagining it as a 2D image. Mm -hmm. So if I have to put two white blocks beside two green, I might put a block at the at the row closest to me and there's also that's two white, but on the very last row is two green. When I'm looking mm -hmm. straight on, it looks like two green beside two white. So mm -hmm. that's the whole depth perception thing. But the person to my left will see that and it'll look totally different. He just may seem, Oh, well that looks to me just like one because he's seeing the end of it, one green and one white. So mm -hmm. over the course of the game, you're stacking these to where you have this huge kind of polynomial Polynomial, I said it again, polyomino, wow, polyomino structure that you're trying to match these cards up against. It is so easy. You place a block. Hey, did you match? Sweet. You put that into the pile that you've completed that one. You draw a new card from either the medium difficulty or hard difficulty. If you don't want to place, there are nine blocks on the uh, board, under on the, on the lower board. You'll either take a row or column of three, whichever ones that you want, then replace those and you'll have those ready for the next turn. That's it. The only thing you have to remember are the placement rules. You must place your block where it touches an existing block. If it touches the face of another block, the piece that you place must be taller than the block of the face that it's touching. If you place corner to corner, where just corners are touching, the whole height rule doesn't matter at all. So at that point, whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, whoa, that, I know. Whoa. I know. That's This is the weird part. So what you're telling me is, so I, I can envision what, you, what you've said so far, but it's the building of the layers. If I place a block and then I need to put a block on top of it, won't it fall off behind it or... I no, guess, you could yeah, stack. You, really you could, gotta play this. You could stack a block right on top of a block that somebody else has already placed. Mm -hmm. Those blocks are taller than the ones that it's touching because you're putting on top of another one. So you can stack vertically. The only rule vertically is it can't be taller than six blocks. That's the only okay. rule for going vertical. So no, nothing could stick be over six blocks tall. Are the blocks like you said a block of two, a block of five? What's the so there's yeah there's a block of maybe four. There is like an S, not an S shape, but you know, in Tetris, how you have the two blocks, uh, mm -hmm. like shifted by one. So like, you know, you, you could have the, <laughs> I'm doing this show and Tony and people are like, we don't know what you're seeing, Marty. Picture Tetris. There are, there are Tetris pieces like that. There's L shapes, uh, except they're 3d. So they're not 2d. Mm -hmm. They're 3d blocks that you're actually putting on the top platform. And the reason why it's raised is so you can easily see it sitting at the table. So you ain't got to squat or anything. You're basically looking face on at all those blocks and the cards that you get, you can rotate them however you want to get it to match. Okay. And guess what? Sometimes Vanessa will like put a block into place that happened to make 
the requirement mm-hmm. that I needed. So I was able to complete a card. You could complete multiple cards in one turn. I might place a block that finishes X amount of cards. I complete them all, then draw back up to four cards in my hand. You go until somebody completes 11 cards. Each of those cards have a point value on it. You add all those up. And then there's another thing about everybody has a unique color that they're trying to get. So that at the very end of the game, they count however many blocks of those colors that they see divide by three. So that's another little thing. But whoever has the most points wins. Actually, I would enjoy this very much. Uh, you you would? Because I didn't think yes. you liked these sort of games. These 3D games of block placement and depth perception. I thought you said you weren't good at those. I'm not good at them. doesn't mean I don't like them. Okay. There's a difference. There's okay. A- First off, as you and I have both celebrated our recent birthdays, as I get older, I am seriously looking at games that will continue to challenge that mental part. This is it. And I told Connor, I said, dude, this is a solid game. It is super easy to teach. You can easily teach the placement rules by example so that people can understand what you're talking about. It's hard just to explain verbally. You either can do one, two things on your turn, place a block, Grab new blocks, period. That's it. I told him, I said, this needs to be in a big box store. I said, this needs to be in Target. If games like abstract games like Azul are in Target, to me, this is way easier to teach and grasp than Azul. This is a 100% a family game. This is really, really a solid game. And the only thing is, I kind of wish the corner pieces that are used, uh, the corner cardboard pieces are used to build up the two platform. I wish those were plastic, but mm-hmm. I understand he needs to keep the cost down because uh, these corner pieces, they have to fold and they have to kind of fit into the corners of the top and bottom. I'm afraid that over time, cardboard fatigue will set in and they won't stick as well. I wish those were plastic, but if he does want to go into like big box stores, he needs to keep the cost down as much as possible. Absolutely. And it's, it opens up a third party market or an accessory where you could actually build your own platform type mechanism yep. if you need to. Yeah. So, yeah. I wish him luck on this. I mean, like I said, you know, I back city builder. Yeah. God, I cannot wait to, when can we play that? Well, unfortunately, poor Connor, um, has getting bit by the, um, shipping container is still stuck in China syndrome. Uh, like everybody else. Absolutely. And he apologized on, on the Kickstarter update. He said, I'm, I'm sorry if y'all want to cancel your order. I completely understand. I, of course, am not canceling my order. I'm waiting for that game. I'm excited to play that game. It's a tile lane game. You and I had a blast with it. I love the cooperative nature of that game, City Builder. So hopefully some people canceled. And if you haven't thought about picking this one up, maybe you can get their copies. I'm just telling you right now. But I'm excited for that. I mean, you know, you and I, Connor's a great guy. So wish him luck with that. I'm excited for for this. Block and key. It's going to make. It's too simple and good. It has, man, it has great table presence. It is, it looks so good on the table. It needs to be in a big box store. It really, there's no reason why this couldn't sit beside like Blockus or other games like that, you know, in, in Target mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that, that for sure needs to happen. The other big Kickstarter news. So we were so bummed out last year when Cubicle 7 lost the rights to the Lord of the Rings RPGs. They did the mm-hmm. One Ring and they did the, uh, Adventures in Middle Earth. Well, the uh, the company that got the rights to that is now bringing the One Ring back, and it's currently on Kickstarter right now. Uh, it'll still be going when this episode uh, releases. It's the One Ring. It's from Free League Pro- Publishing. The original designer of the game is retweaking the rules, kind of simplifying some of the rules, redoing it. 
the goal was for $12,000. As of this recording, it has made $866,000. I guess it succeeded. I am back in this bad boy. The art looks absolutely amazing. The starter box looks really cool. I love anything Lord of the Rings. I never got to play the One Ring itself. That I had the book, but we never played. We always did Adventures in Middle Earth. On the Kickstarter, it's very interesting. It says people are asking about a 5e edition. They said, stay tuned. We will be coming out with an edition that will work in 5e, D&D 5e. Uh, so we will be able to play that again, but I'm very excited about this. Anything Lord of the Rings I'm in, the art looks absolutely amazing. I wish I had the money to dump into the collector's edition cause the leather bound leather edition looks, oh, it looks so good. So yeah, I can't, I don't know when this is it's supposed to come out in November, 2021. So it'd be sometime the end of this year. I never did get to play the one ring. I want to get the starter box and actually try it sometime. Okay, then maybe you can host an online session. I would love to. The different thing about the One Ring is this, is that you aren't like super powered people. You're just the average Joe Blows who happen to be called up in something and want to go on an adventure. So you don't have a lot of special abilities. You're just like an average person who maybe can carry a sword or maybe shoot a bow sort of deal. That's kind of like um, same thing with uh, journeys or adventures. Oh, that's true. Yeah, nobody had like a lot of, nobody had like magic or anything like that, did they? No, not really. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, we didn't play it enough to, you know, dwell into it and take into all the special characteristics that came along with it. And that's fine. I mean, yeah, they'll look good on your shelf and it'll still smell new two to three years later. (sighs) Yeah. You know what doesn't smell new? What's that? Whenever I get uh, the latest hero packs from Marvel Champions, Quicksilver and Wasp just came out. I just want to give kudos to those people over at FFG who every single hero deck they come out with totally matches the theme of the hero and it's totally different than everything that's come out before it. I don't see how they keep doing it. They have Ant-Man, which is basically, you know, I can get big, I can get Mm -hmm. small. Wasp can get big, get small, but they have totally different abilities. They both can thwart and both can do some damage, but the way they do it is totally unique. It's not like, oh, I already have Ant-Man and don't need Wasp. Nope, you do. They're different. Quicksilver, very understandable mechanic. Basically, he has a bunch of cards that can keep reading him. He'll exhaust, do something, play a card, read him. Do something with him, read him again. You know, he's one of those things where he could just do multiple actions of a turn. So thematically, he's being able to do a lot of attacks per turn, et cetera, like that. So kudos to to them. I know you haven't probably played. Have you played any solo Marvel Champions at all? Have you tried it out? Not in a while. Not in a while. I, I need to. I was thinking about that the other day. I I need to get the, all the solos on the table and just spend weekend. If I was still in North Carolina, this would be the perfect time. With the cold, wet, dreary rain, I'd be there. Yep. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you uh, put that put a uh, put that on the table and put a camera down on it and go on our Twitch channel and uh, do a little solo game right there? Yeah, I could do that. I'd just have to come over and find out how to do that. You know, you told me to go watch something, <laughs> something about an OBDS inlay OBDS. templates. To- I don't know. Man. That's funny. That's funny. And, and lastly, just talking about the fantasy flight game. So still playing Arkham Horror. We play once a week. We have one more scenario left in the circle undone. I play this all the time. I don't talk about all the time, but I just want to talk about this really, really cool scenario that we just played. It's basically pandemic. Uh, so typically in Arkham Horror LCG, you have a map set up. Typically, most of them are you go to locations, you try to get clues, Clues will advance the act, which is what you're trying to advance to get through the story. 
The game is playing against you. At the beginning of every round, a Doom token is added to the agenda deck. And once so many agenda tokens are added to a card, it flips to the next one. Bad things happen. So that's the main mechanic. Except in this scenario, uh, because what happens is at the beginning of the round, instead of a Doom token coming out, breaches come out onto the board. So you have all the locations. You randomly select three locations and a breach token goes onto a location. If it ever a location has three breaches and another one's supposed to be added, just like in pandemic, an outbreak occurs. So a breach goes to every attached location and a doom token goes onto the uh, agenda. So that's how an agenda gets there. I mean, a doom gets there. So how do you get clues? Each of the locations have a way to get rid of the breaches. Sometimes you have to do a particular test. Sometimes you have to discard cards. If you can ever collect three breaches on the act card, you can trade in one of those to randomly put one clue out somewhere on the map. And you do that. And then you collect clues like before. That whole thing of breaches randomly popping up on the map and then outbreaks occurring it's 100% pandemic. They've never done anything like that before. And it was absolutely amazing. I'm still amazed to this day how they can make every single scenario feel so different. The design space for that game is just absolutely phenomenal. I love it. I can tell you get to play it all every week. Yep. That's awesome that you get to do. Now, I, fa- I did. I like the pandemic tie-in here. They're also releasing these pandemic challenges for the board game where you try Ooh. to solve... Yeah, I've been seeing these show up on the Facebook where they'll say, okay, can you beat this pandemic challenge? They'll give you... So back in the day, for those of you who don't remember, there was this thing that used to get delivered. Shoot, I even delivered them. They were called papers. Newspapers? Newspapers. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And they were, yeah, they were printed on this paper stuff. It was a black. It was all about this. Anyway. What's black and white and red all over? A newspaper. Uh, a zebra with a sunburn. A skunk that got hit by a car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because in North Carolina, we see that a lot. Oh, is that not the worst when you don't oh. know it till it's too late and you drive right over top of it and you go, oh, oh. no. And then the smell hits. And then it's just it's, there for a while. It's there for a long while. So in the near the comic section, there was always these either bridge or chess challenge. Yes, I remember that. Yes. All right. So they're release, releasing these pandemic challenges similar to where can you do the following? And I think they've released their second one. I have not done any of them yet, but I I do want to get them and try them out. That's neat that they're doing that. And the last thing for me, Marty, and then we can transition to wherever we need to go next (laughs) is I appreciate them doing this. Okay. CGE releasing Codenames Duet. But first off, I guess when I think of Codenames Duet, Donna's right there. I told her, I said, well, you could log in. We could play Codenames Duet if we're ever like here. Mm-hmm. I don't have my game with me. So I could do that. Here's a share out the game. We could play Codenames Duet. But I could also see where if you are not in the same room. It just kind of caught me funny. At Codenames Duet, aren't you always in the room with the person you're playing duet with? Well, I guess not. You and I could do this play, you know, if we wanted to. Oh, we, I've, I've already thought about it. We're going to do a, you just don't know it yet. We're going to stream oh. us playing duet sometime on our Twitch channel. Oh, See how good. well we do. Uh, we'll lose. But oh, of course we will. But I mean, it'd be fun. That's that's an easy game. The, the uh, website they have set up for that is really, really nice. So I was glad to see Duet show up on there. It's a good game. Good game.
Tony, a game that you and I have not gotten on the table in a while from Portal Games is 51st State. And there's an expansion coming out called Moloch. The game is playing against the rest of the players there. So you have these cards that are coming out there are affecting every single one of us. Now, even though we're playing competitively, cooperatively, we could try to deal with this uh, invasion from the from the Moloch uh, player that's coming in. But what's really neat is, is you may decide not to help because maybe even though it may be hurting you, it may be hurting others more. So I can't really, I can't wait to see how this works. And this is going to be coming soon from Portal Games. It's going to be launching, it looks like in March on their website on portalgamesus.com. You, you've seen a little bit about this, haven't you? Yes, I have. And if you go over to their site, you'll see one of the banners. By all means, click on it. You can read all about it. Matter of fact, that's what I'm doing right now. And he's been teasing this a ton, Marty. He's been saying, hey, this is Nick. We just finished up, v- um, what is it? Vienna, Vienna sausages? Oh, yeah. I almost said that. That's what's so scary, dude. I almost said Vienna sausages. Do you like Vienna sausages? Yes, I do, actually. Oh, do, wait a minute. But it has the little nasty gel stuff inside of it when you open the can. Just get past that. Just, just <laughs> do you so eat them raw? Spam. Do you eat them cold or do you heat them up? Yes. You eat them Growing cold out of the can? Growing up, I haven't done it in forever. Oh. But can we get back to Portal Games? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so Vienna Connection. Uh, yes, that was just uh, the pre-order is already over for that. And uh, look for a mullet coming soon. And uh, Tony, I don't know if you know this, but you've created the new advertising slogan slogan for Portal in our last episode. And how did I do that? I did not know this. Uh, 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 yeah, so, so you did. So you, you made mention of the fact that Rodney Smith's logo and everything's on every box right and we're saying you know how much is rodney paying to get his logo everywhere and he said no no no, no that's not it that's not it the fact is is that basically ignacy's having to pay rodney to get the logo on the box so from now on for the well, for the next short time we just want to say this hey if you want to go out and check out all the portal games you can do that over at portalgamesus.com and as they always say at portal buy our games so we can pay rodney So here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, sometimes we are lucky enough to get games that are fairly old back on the table, especially when they do a updated, re-release, special, mega version. And such is the case with the game Carpe Diem. Seize the day. Seize the day. What movie? Oh my gosh. Oh, um, um, uh, the Robin Williams movie, right? There's only been a few of those. Oh my gosh. The one where he's an instructor, a teacher. Is that the one at the university? I can't remember the name of it. Dead Poet Society. That one, that one too. I'm sorry. Yes. Carpet <laughs> Dam. Mork and Mindy. I don't know. That's actually one of my favorites of his. Mork and Mindy? No, Carpet, uh, Carpe, <laughs> Dead Poet Society. <laughs> my captain, my captain. Carpe Dia by Stefan Feld. Yeah, what about it? We got the new and improved version of that. Now, you were telling me about some of the improvements to it. And you were talking about how they changed the uh, way that you can move your figure on the board, how it's now a circle. Did you ever see how it was before? No, I did not. So this is a tile placement game. Uh, Each of you have a board that you're going to be filling in tiles over the course of the game. And on the main board, 
uh, you have a circle and each spot on the circle has four tiles that are put at the beginning of each round. And each of you have a figure uh, that you put on the board. And during your turn, you're going to move one space to the left or one space to the right and pick up one of the tiles that's in that space. Straightforward. So, Tony, the way it used to be, it was instead of moving left or right, there were lines in the middle of the circle that you would follow going to the opposite side of the board. So you would like, you could either go to like a tile over to one side or a tile over to the other. And we kept wondering the first time we played it, we looked at it and go, why is it like that? And somebody figured out, wait a minute, this is basically a circle that's clapped on itself. Like they folded it a couple times and then it mm. creates these intersections between these different edges. And it was confusing. So Robinsberger, thank you for fixing this because moving left or right is a lot more straightforward for an action selection than trying to follow. Well, if this turn, I'll follow this path. I'll go over there. And the next turn, I will either go to this one or this one over here. It just makes a, a lot more sense. So yes, that's one of the main things that I that they did in this one that I really like. I've never played it before. And you said you had. Yes. So as far as the teach goes, I mean, after I went through the rules, read it, I was like, okay, this is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. You're going to be collecting tiles, trying to complete various buildings or landscapes in order to be able to collect various resources that will, you will then spell, uh, sorry, spin to collect, to complete certain objectives on the other board where you will be placing a token between two cards and on those cards, it'll say, Hey, if you can spend as many sheep as you want, you will get X victory points. Or, Hey, if you have this objective complete, like you have a fish pond, then you will get these rewards. There was no sheep. There was no sheep. I thought there was sheep, grapes, herbs, chicken, and fish, chicken, uh, chickens and sheep. Are they not the same? <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought it was. Sh oh, you're right. It is chickens. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did I tell you I was in Florida and I'm having to wait for the images to load? Did Stefan Feld ever use sheep for his grass for mowing his grass? I don't know. I don't know. Or, or I don't know. We talked to him Maybe last somebody. year or two years ago at Gen Con. So yeah, we did. Oh, Gen Con was so long ago. Oh. Yep. So you're turning that stuff in getting victory points. You play through it for seven rounds. Seven rounds. Yeah, baby. There's four phases per round. Overall, Marty, I mean, this is this is just a straightforward game. Heck yes. To me, this is one of Stefan Feld's more accessible games. Mm -hmm. All you got to basically learn to do is, is figure out what types of buildings you want and what happens when you complete those buildings or, or land structures. Like if you complete a pond, based on the size of the pond, you'll get fish. It's basically the size of tiles of that minus one. You'll get that number of fish. Same with vineyards and et cetera. Same with the uh, the farms. The farms, yeah, for giving you the, the the chickens. All the buildings are basically, most of the buildings are just basically two, a size of two. Uh, but when you create those, they can do different things. For example, the baker will give you bread. The bread that you can use to turn in and do uh, bread tokens you can use to turn in for basically paying the cost of maybe resources you don't have in that final phase where you're putting that token between two cards. But what, you can pay bread, complete it, or is it the coins that you would also can do a wild resource? Yes, yes, that's it, yes. The whole objective of the game is to try to generate these resources because you need to really be playing, paying attention to these objective cards. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. To maximize your points. Yeah. And the mer and like you said, because the coins can be any resource, when you complete a merchant building, uh, you can basically turn in as many fish, herbs, et cetera, as you want and collect that number of coins plus one. 
So you make a little bit in that mm-hmm. uh, capability. And then there's this uh, one building, the villas that you can make as big as you want, but the bigger they are, then the more points you'll collect at the end of the game for completed villas that you have. You're going through those seven rounds, you're collecting resources, you're achieving objectives, hopefully getting victory points, filling up your tile board, hopefully being able to complete buildings, which just like any tile lane game, you can get messed up. Mm-hmm. You can pick a tile. You don't have to use it, but it does count as a half victory point. Correct. Yeah. You don't have to place it. Correct. Yep. You don't have to place it. And I'm sitting here going through the, all this. And then at the end of the game, because it's all about victory points, on your border that you get put together that is random, there's you know four mm-hmm. strips that you'll put together. There are victory point and identifications for buildings. So like if you have a baker and it's in this row or column, depending on where it is on that border, you'll get more victory points. So you have to be strategic in how you're placing these buildings as well. Yeah. Because they've they've got to match up. The tiles have got to match up. The placement of the tiles is really important too, because yeah. uh, you, you can't have an edge of a building go up against the edge of the border. So like it, grass must match grass, buildings must match buildings, etc. And that gets kind of tough towards the end of the game because as you're filling up your playing board, there are certain tiles that's like, I really need the end of this particular building and nothing else on the other side of it. Now, there was a really smart design because in the uh, final round, the seventh round, all the tiles that are placed on the wheel basically are just the ends of buildings. So it's mm-hmm. almost it's designed to where, okay, at this point, you people need to be capping off your buildings at this point, not trying to create new ones. This is a game for me, Marty. I want to play it again because, first off, I did poorly in it, but it's learning what the buildings are, learning the various shapes. Okay, the shapes are square, but it's what are your options of the buildings? You know, if you've never seen these tiles, it's kind of like Carcassonne. When you're placing certain Carcassonne tiles out, you know what ones you're going to pull from the bag that will help you complete the castle or complete the field or do the road that you can't let this shape get near anything because you won't be able to complete this road because it won't be able to match up. And so the more you play it, the better you'll get at this game. Mm -hmm. So I think my first time out playing it, I was like, okay, I've got no idea what to expect, what tiles to expect to come. There's only eight buildings. So you got the four landscapes that they each generate the different resources. The merchant we talked about, which is giving you money for resources. The baker gives you the bread. So three bread tokens will fulfill the requirements at that last phase. We didn't mention this, Tony. When you place that token between two cards, if you can't fulfill one of those cards, you're going to cost you victory points. Oh, yeah. So typical failed thing. There's a way to lose that. There's an administrator building. Uh, We'll let you move two spaces up on the bandolier bar, which basically determines first player. First player is extremely important because you want first player at the beginning of the round so you can pick, you know, which tile that you want to get. Then there's the craftsman where there's some tiles at the bottom of the board that's set up at the beginning of the game. And it lets you just take one of those tiles. So sometimes there may be a tile at the bottom. It's like, I really want that particular tile. If you complete a craftsman building, then you can uh, basically get one of those. So moving up that bandolier bar is also victory points at the end. The further you move up, that'll be additional uh, points at the end. So even though it definitely has the failed feel of point salad, a lot of different ways to create points, to me, it's still one of the more accessible ones. And if I was one to teach a failed game, this is one of the ones I would consider doing. And I have not tried this out on Donna and her tile lane love to see what she thinks of it. I, I want to get this to the table for her. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that they redid the circle that you were talking about at the beginning of this, because I could just see that being a quick turnoff for some people. 
Yep. I did find it a challenge though of generating resources, knowing the objectives, watching what you were going to do. I found that to be a challenge. So that I think I can do better, but that's something that you need to warn people about when they're playing this game, that you need to look at those objectives over there and watch what other people are building because they can take that from you. And then you have nothing. And you, like you said, get negative victory points. Mm -hmm. What is your goal at the end of the round? And you need to work towards that if the tiles are there. Oh, I mentioned too, one important thing was, it's like, what happens if you get stuck and there's nothing on to the left or right of you of a tile that you can need? The bread tokens were also, you can spend a bread token and move to any place on the circle, mm -hmm. uh, which is nice. And basically what happens is that phase is ended when all the tiles are taken. So depending on the number of players, uh, like I believe it was with uh, three players, when only one tile is left in one of the spots, you clear out that final tile. And uh, you keep going till all the tiles are off the circle. And then at that point, when you go and start placing your tokens between the two cards. So the way those cards are laid out at the beginning of the game, variability. Obviously, the tiles coming out, variability. So there's a lot of variability to the game itself. The borders that we randomly build variability. So every time you play, it's going to feel a little bit different. So if you're interested in getting a Stefan Feld to the table mm -hmm. with tiles, with point salad, with variability, check out Carpe Diem, the remake. By Ravensburger. Is it by Ravensburger? Or is it by Aaliyah? See, I always got confused Distributed by Distributed by Ravensburger. I hope so, because they're the one that uh, provided it to us. Yes, thank you. Vanessa? The king is coming, but I want him to come to my chateau. Why yours? Mine is better. Oh, no, I no, want no. him to come to mine. No, no. My chateau is much better. And when the king comes to town. The to king wants to come to Vanessa's house because it's homey. It's not a chateau. <laughs> it is a homey place to come and sip some Irish cream coffee like I'm sipping right now. I, I right know, now. I don't know if he's Irish or not. Coffee Mate Irish Cream Creamer right here. <laughs> Come to my chateau. <laughs> that, that, King. Might, that might pull him in right there. That's exactly what we're trying to do in this re-release of a game from Reiner Knizia from back in 2006 called Royal Visit. This is a two-player game, plays 20 to 30 minutes, where there is a board on the table, a nice, well, the, it's not really a board, it's a mat made out of nice cloth. And on your side is eight spaces. I, I got to stop you, Marty. Oh, here we go. I got to stop you. Yep, here we go. Because I want all the listeners okay. to stop uh -huh. and call all of their friends okay. who have ever asked them what is a good game to play with the kids like early on to get them into gaming. What does it say on the box? Eight and up? Eight and up. This is a great, would you say intro to, not intro to gaming, but once you've introduced your kids to gaming, this is a great game for our kids and adults. Interesting. Everyone. I didn't take it. I didn't take on it as a spin as a game for kids, but I guess it is because I remember as kids. I mean, then they, you weren't listening after we played it because I specifically <laughs> said that. I wish that we could go back <laughs> and find all the people who've asked because many years ago we did a segment on games for kids. I really, really, really like this game. Well, I guess it's course it's a card game. And you're playing cards on your turn in order to move these these really nice wooden figures back and forth between each of our duchies. So as I was saying, there's this really nice cloth mat. On your side is eight spaces. On mm -hmm. my side is eight spaces. And then there's a middle space. And there are different characters that are set up on the map. The king starts out right in the middle, and there's a, a guard on either side of him. Plus there's a jester and a wizard. And what we're going to do is over the course of the game is we're going to play cards 
that will move these characters with the whole goal of trying to get the king into one of the last two spaces on your side, which is your chateau. Whoever does that first wins the game. Yeah, that's it. Simple rules, simple play, but it is a little bit thinky, and it's great for kids all the way up through adults. And we played this game, oh, gee, multiple times just sitting there. And what, what I like about games like this is, you know, you were sitting there maybe sipping some coffee or whatever. You had creamer in there at your time. I was sipping on something. <laughs> and we were just enjoying our company, just talking back and forth as we played the game. I think this is one of those games where I could just set up and then just enjoy sitting at the table playing without having to put a lot of thought into it. You're giving me this furrowed brow look. Yeah, I'm giving you the furrowed brow because I wasn't like, oh, ha, 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 ha. I, I wanted to win because you beat me the first time and the second <laughs> time I wanted to win. And I was like, uh, come on, court. Come on, jester. <laughs> and you did. Come on, magician. And you did win. Now, let's just talk about how these cards work. So there are cards in the deck that represent each of the different characters. And each of the cards can do different things. So each of us are dealt eight cards at the beginning of of the game. And when you play, you can play as many of one type of character card as you want. One of the very simple ones is the king. The king, when you play king cards, he can only move one space or he can move the entire court one space. Now the court, this is an important rule. The court consists of the king and the two guards. The rules state that on the board, the king up must always be between the two. So the guard is always protecting the king. And that's one of the, the really easy ones. Another easy one is the Jester card. Uh, the Jester has numbers on it, one, two, three, four, and five. So on your turn, you can play as many Jester cards as you want, moving that Jester that number of spaces. The Wizard also can move anywhere from one to three spaces. And then the Guards, when you move them, even though there's two guards, you can treat them separately and you can move them a space at a time or you can recenter them around the king. So if they get too far from the king, you can always bring them back and, and recenter. Mm -hmm. Now, that's and how I think there was one where you could move both of them. You can move one or the other or both or recenter. Yes. Yes, you're right. There's one card that move at one space. There's another card you can move one space twice or each of them once. So really on your turn, you're, you can only play matching cards trying to move. And again, the goal is to try to get the king to your side. I think the more interesting thing is, instead of playing cards, you can activate one of the powers of either the jester or the wizard. That's right. And the power of the jester is you can move any character of your choice. Yeah. The jester is kind of like a wild card. So when you play the, you say, I'm going to activate the jester's power, and then I'm going to pick a character, and then I'm going to play the jester cards, and you can move that character, whatever number is on the jester. The wizard's really straightforward. When you activate the wizard's ability, the wizard just teleports any character that you want straight to him. He can summon the king or one of the guards. Yeah. Okay. So everybody but the jester. Yeah. 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 So if you can get the wizard way on your side, activate the ability to summon the king or a guard to there. But you remember, you can't break the rule. You can't move the king outside of the two guards. So yeah. you always got to make sure that... You know, from your perspective, a guard is at least one guard's behind the wizard. Then you can summon the king straight to there. During the course of the game, there's this nice little tug of war between the two players of using these card mechanics and these powers in order to draw the king towards you. Now, we did say the way to win the game was to get the king into your chateau, but there is one other way. At the end of your turn, you're going to count the number of characters on your side, and there's a crown token that starts in the middle of the board. 
however many number of characters there is, you're going to move that crown towards your side. And if the entire court's on your side, you'll also move it one additional space. So after every turn, you're going to count up how many characters and move that crown back and forth. If the crown token ever ends up in either one of the chateaus, that triggers the end of the game. And the four times I've played, the game was always triggered that way and not the king itself. But there is another way. If you happen to do that tug of war until you go through the whole deck of cards, well, you have eight cards, you play however many mm -hmm. of the character that you play, and then you build back up to eight. Mm -hmm. So if you go through the deck of cards, you reshuffle, go through it a second time, and the game would end after that, and then whichever side the king or crown? The king. Whichever side the king was on, then they would be yeah. the winner. So it's not an infinite game. You would only go through the deck twice. So it's one of those things, there's actually, I guess there's really three ways to win the game, because if you get through the entire game and end up the king on your side, you'll also win that way too. The game's going to automatically end by itself. It's kind of a built-in clock, so it's not going to last forever. And both times that we played it, it went really fast. It didn't even take 20 minutes, I don't think. Nope. Nope. And the times I, uh, I played also with Bert is the same way. And it was fun. first time I played him, I won. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to play again. And then he beat, he beat me the <laughs> I second know. time. Same too. for me. And I don't know if you talked enough about the cloth. The cloth is really beautiful. It's a beautiful scene on there. The colors are beautiful. I like the color of the tokens. Uh, turquoise, orange, purple. And I nice like wooden blocks for the characters that have nice art on them and everything. And like I said, this is a re-release. In the original version, uh, the characters didn't look as nice. This is a small game box. has a nice insert to it. Just recently came out again from Yellow. Again, like you said, it's. I guess it really could be a kid game because we played more complicated card games like this as kids. I remember playing gin rummy and collecting sets and playing things like that. That's exactly what you're doing, except when you play cards, you're just actually moving characters on a board when you do it. Yeah, I think this is just a great all-around game for, for everybody. Great one to take to family functions. We're always looking for that type of game. But it is two-player. It is two-player only, yes. The different sides of the boards is your duchy. And of course, you know, us being kids from the 80s, when I say Dutchie, you immediately think of... Yeah, last time I sang this, y'all got on to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not singing it again. So do you know what D-U-C-H-Y, do you know what that is? I, di I didn't ever really know. I, I don't. So it's the territory or land that is owned or ran by a duke or duchess. Oh, well then how come that can't be what the song means? Because past the Dutchie is D-U-T-C-H-I-E, it's spelled differently. Hmm. <laughs> but pronounced the same way so when you say past the duchy it's totally different thing totally spelled a, di a different way so but it is it's hard not to play this and go past the duchy yeah i didn't know what it what that duchy meant either so i sing it all the time <laughs> There's a lot of songs we probably sing growing up was like wait a minute excuse me that means what <laughs> Oh, so this is Royal oh, 80s. <laughs> I miss you so much. That is Royal Visit from designer Ronnie Canizzi. Again, this is a re-release of his game from 2006. Much nicer components now. Small box from Yellow Games. It is out in stores now. Fun two-player game. Miniaturemarket.com. Have you gone there recently? Yes. Have you checked out? You have. Mm -hmm. You still got something on hold for us and you swear that you don't. I know you put something on hold for us. Yeah, I probably do have several things on hold for us. I just don't remember what they are. Well, I would like them delivered at some point. <laughs> 
Well, you need to buy more stuff to get over the $100 so we can get free shipping. The shipping's not that much, dude. Just pay the man. We got to get people working here. Okay? Okay, fine. All right. I'll get it released. My bad. Sorry. I mean, I'll I mean, do it. I mean, I will look at some of the new folded space inserts that they've got over there. Uh-huh. And then if I find out, if I keep going over to Miniature Market, their splash page is going to say, hey, we've got this on sale. Like, if you might have missed it, if you still play Guild Ball, they had their stuff 70% off. 70%. And then the other day, I'm on the front page, just randomly going over to Miniature Market and saying, hmm, I wonder what they have this week. Oh, look, they have all this really cool-looking train. There's the Wild West Exodus scenes. I'm like, what is this Wild West Exodus? Why do I need this? I don't need this, but oh, that would look so good. And my Forbidden Frog stuff, if I had that. Did you check those out? Uh, I did not. You, you need to go over to miniaturemarket.com and check the, look at this war cradle scenes. Here, here's my problem, Tony. When I go to Miniature Market, I tend to end up on the uh, Guild's Workshop page. Guild's Workshop. My gosh. Where in the mm-hmm. heck did that come from? Games Workshop page. And then I end up buying like war cry stuff. Well, okay. Why are we not at $100 then? <laughs> I'm trying to save money. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. I was like, what is this Wild West? Well, this Wild West Exodus rules and G-U-B-B-I-N-S set. New arrival. It's a new arrival for $22, but I can buy all this really cool terrain that looks good. Well, here's the thing, Tony. What what happens if somebody can't go there every day? You know what they can do? They can go over there and sign up for the newsletter. And they, newsletter, they can find out when new pre-orders come up. And they can find out when the new games arise and when prices are reduced. And then it tells me whenever I go there, it tells me how many points I have saved up because they have a rewards program that mm-hmm. you can take advantage of. Maybe you should, maybe you should drop my stuff out of your thing so I can get my reward points. Oh yeah, here it is. I got two orders awaiting release right here. Yep. That we ordered back on de- December 4th and December 6th. It has been a while, hasn't it? What, I don't know. What, what do we even order, man? Oh, I ordered a couple Arkham Horror things. Shock. Mm-hmm. One of the new novellas. And you, what's it you wanted? Oh, the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth Villains of Erreridor figure pack. Yeah, they probably sold out now. No, they, because when you buy it, they pull it off and put it on the shelf and they leave it there waiting for you to close your order. And they're probably waiting on us so they can free up that shelf space. They need to free up that shelf space. So make sure that happens. Also, gift certificates are so easy at Miniature Market. You just need a name and an email address and you can send it to anybody. Oh, yeah, I know that because I've been doing it, giving people $5 for mistakes in the episode. Absolutely. So if you want to say like... Tony and Marty at RollDiceTakeNames at gmail.com. So you can send them. A, see how easy that would be, everybody? And move it straight forward. So anyway, be sure to head over to MiniatureMarket.com. Hey, babe. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you took time out of your schedule to, to come online. Well, you're not even online. You're, you're sitting right here. Yeah, and my schedule is just jam-packed. During these times, you know, I know what it is. You, you always, you know, got to get something done at the house, got to work. But you sat down and played a new game with me called Sagani. Sag- is that what? Sagani. I don't uh, know. Okay. Well, see there. It's by Uwe Rosenberg, a designer, favorite designer of yours. He's done Patchwork. And then there was one called Nova Luna. There's a lot of them. A lot of them that we've played. And in this game, we are trying to waken the elements, the spirits of the world, 
by placing a tile down and uh, let, let me just read from Board Game Geek. That's all there is. Each spirit embodies one of the four elements and influences the har- harmony between them in Sagani as you and your opponents create a colorful, harmonious... Is that... Harmonious. It? Harmonious? Harmonious. Okay, that's much better. World by employing your sound disc. The spirits become fully visible. Every spirit that shows up also brings you a step closer to victory. In this game, all we're doing is picking from a choice of tiles and putting them in our tableau, our world, our play area, and each one has a separate play area. And when you do that, you're placing these discs on top of it. These tiles have arrows pointing in various directions, diagonal, up, down, um, right. And what you're trying to do, those arrows have various colors. If those arrows point to a color in your disc, in your world, then you can... In that direction. In that direction. Very good. You may cover that up with one of your sound discs. So for instance, let's say a tile is a three-point tile. There will be two arrows on it, and they will point to two colors. In order to score that tile, you have to cover up both those arrows. Those arrows have to point to another, to the appropriate color. Doesn't matter if it's been that color has been scored or hasn't been scored, as long as that arrow is pointing to it, and it can jump over other tiles to get there. You may cover up that sound disc. Sounds complicated when I explain it, but it's really not, is it? No, the actual play of it is um, simple. The logistics of it is simple. I think the strategy is what's kind of complicated and fun about it. Well, you've got those five tiles to pick from. And you're trying to build out this order that allows you to immediately place a tile and score it or possibly score it later. You've got a limited number of sound discs. And if you're not careful, you can run out of those and then you are penalized for that. Because the only way you can recover those sound discs, of course, is scoring the tile. And as your world grows, it gets harder and harder for those tiles to score. And so there's a lot of strategy in that, or at least it was for me. Well, you know, there was for me. But did you like it? Did you enjoy the game? Um, yeah, I think so. I would I would like to try it again. And I'm curious how it changes with more people. Yeah, with two people, we had to score up to 75 points. And it, at the beginning, it seemed like, oh, I was going to run away with it. But if you remember correctly, and I'm sure you do, you won. You you I scored 75 first, mm-hmm. but on your last turn. No, no, no. You have that backwards. I scored 75 and you had the last turn and you beat me by two. Oh, okay. I like my memory better. It just goes better for me. (laughs) Yeah, right. This is where Marty gets on me. I don't explain how to play the game very well. Obvious based on this intro. But it's one of those games where I'm just, I can sit there, I can can show it to you. I can teach it to you fairly quickly. But me trying to tell you what strategy you want to implore is different because you were talking about, well, maybe I should do this next time. Well, we played it twice and the first time you totally destroyed me, but I think I wasn't really taking into account how difficult it was to finish some of the higher point tiles and I used some of those and then I got into a hole and I think once you're in the hole, you can't dig yourself out of it. I mean, that's the one thing I would say about it. You might as well just end it there. which I pretty much did because there was no way I could come back from it. The second time we played it, 
I realized that you couldn't really put light colors together. It didn't really work to your advantage to do that. They kind of needed to be spaced out so and kind of in all different directions. So instead of having two or three blue tiles clustered together, it would make more sense that each kind of row and column had them or diagonals because then you could finish up multiple tiles even at one time. Yeah. And that's very important that you try to build out that strategy because one thing, one rule that's definitely there is after the first tile, any tile after that must be adjacent to another tile. And that was kind of hard because I would want to go diagonally and you can't go diagonally until you build adjacent. Right. So you've got a tile that you know, oh, that diagonal one is pointing right there. So I need to jump that tile and go diagonal. Well, that means it's going to take me another tile attached to the one I want to jump to put the diagonal tile on. But then that locks up. Well, that's a whole new tile is pointing to a whole bunch of other colors. And you've got to put that in consideration as you're playing the game. That to me was probably the hardest thing for me to grasp was that type of, it's not spatial relations. It was just getting that plan out. How is it going to come up based on the tiles that were available to us? Exactly. So I think you kind of have to plan out a little bit and not go for the instant gratification of finishing a tile. But at the same time, you can't dig yourself into too deep of a hole. Yeah, picking up all these high point 10 tiles, because tiles are either 1, 3, 6, or 10 in scoring. And if you say, well, I'm going to grab all these 10s and end it soon, it's going to be very hard to complete. No, then you run out of the uh, sound discs. Yeah. Yeah, and so you got to think about that. So sometimes taking a one-pointer is helpful, but if you take too many of those, you're not going to score well, and people can eventually leap past you. Now, I will say one thing. When the area where you get to pick from, from the um, storage, the shop, whatever you want to call it, I know there's a name, I don't have the rule book on me, but you get five tiles to choose from. That does not refresh. So each player will get to choose a tile. If the last tile is a tile you don't want, then you are able to discard it, or not discard it, you put it in this area on the board, on the scoreboard, and you're able to pick a tile from the top of the stack and put in play. Now, you don't know where the arrows are, you just know the point value, and that was something interesting. If this discarded area ever becomes full, then everybody has an opportunity to take from that free. You don't have to, and that was kind of unique. Where all of a sudden, hey, this is full, we need to refill, but before we do, we can look at this additional supply, and it may help you complete. There's a little strategy there, but playing two players, it really didn't matter. No, we never took too much from that area, although I did once, um, and there was one there that I wanted. I was so glad I got first choice because I wanted that tile so bad. It helped me a lot, (laughs) but the other... I don't know. There were four, I think, up there, right? So the other three were useless to me, but the one I really wanted. So overall, for me, I enjoyed playing the game. It was very strategic. It was easy to teach. I found that even for me, I couldn't just suddenly grab a tile. You had to really think through it. So there was some analysis paralysis, not a lot, but I think it as you were sitting there, you can spin a tile oriented however you want, as long as it was adjacent to something, and that played in it. It's definitely needs some table space. Oh, definitely. I mean, we laughed and said we might have to sit on opposite ends of the dining room table. All in all, I look forward to getting it back to the table. What are your final thoughts on it? I will play it again and see what I think, but I liked it. 
I'm going to try to say it again. Sagani by Uwe Rosenberg. I think that's, that's close enough. Y'all know you don't get $5 for our pronunciation on the show. Thanks for doing this again with me, babe. We'll see you again next time. All right. So, Marty, I want to keep this outro really short. Not okay. to the short point where I go just keep rolling dice and you end it. I'm not going to do that to you, but I do want to keep it so that you can enjoy your Valentine's Day with your wife. Funny thing, I used to always say Valentine's. A lot of people do that, yep. But I did. I was watching, you know, a Hallmark movie with my wife. Does that count? Yeah, it does. 100%. Hey, I will say this. I finally got to play um, our little Switch news. We didn't touch on Switch. I finally started playing, uh, what is it? Immortals Rising? No. Immortals Phoenix Rising. Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yeah, you've got probably about 20 hours in now, and I've got about 10. Oh, no. I've only got about 11, so you've already passed me, so... I don't think I've gotten that far, though. That's just it. I've been going around collecting stuff. Have you collected Aphrodite's tears yet? No, I have not. Okay, I've got two of the tears. So one thing I have discovered about this game, I stink at blocking and parrying. I cannot do that. I, I am awful at dodging. I just go in there and start swinging and hope I survive and start eating the pomegranates. Oh my heavens, I am terrible. So I am, whatever I'm going to do, I am going to make sure I concentrate on potions that will help me with my attacking Mm -hmm. because if I don't, I will never survive to the end of the boss. Uh, Yeah, so you got potions for attacks and potions for defense. Yep. And I saw where PlayStation 5s are back in stock. I've heard they've been slowly coming back into stock, yes. What's the difference? There's a digital one and a not, what? I need a new DVD player. Then you don't want the all digital one because there's no DVD player in it. That's the advantage of it. That's why it's cheaper. So it's basically uh, download only for games. And the other one has the disk drive in it, basically. Okay, so I need to check that out. So I just want to make sure. So we're up to date on our video stuff, our video gaming. That's important. And I have also learned that I have gotten so used to playing my Switch on the big screen, playing it on that small screen can only be certain games. Yes. so sad, dude. So you didn't remind me about the whole Target run. So let me run back to that because that has to do with this. So I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, at Target, they have these uh, little uh, booster packs or blind buys of classic console controllers and they're all Nintendo stuff and I'm trying to collect all eight and I've got five. So there's the classic NES controller which I do not have. The Super Nintendo controller, I got that one. There's a Game Boy, I got that one. There's a Game Boy Color, do not have that one. Game Boy Advance, do not have that one. DS, got that. Nintendo 64, got that. GameCube controller, got that. All right. They're like five or six bucks a piece. I'm trying to collect all. Now, but I'm getting to that area where the chances of me getting a duplicate is now pretty high. I've only gotten one duplicate so far. So you got to go, it's a blind buy. You'll see them in an end cap somewhere. Are they in the video game or toy? Typically, they're with like the Magic, the Gathering, and Pokemon area. All right. So that's usually at the front of the store. Unless yep. they've changed. I haven't been in a Target in forever because there's not one near me, but I will do that for you. I will venture forth and see if I can get lucky enough and draw that for you. Yep. Man, enjoy the weather up in... Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll be back in a week after I get my tan. I'm going to the beach tomorrow. I'm so excited. The water isn't that cold. So I am all ready to get out there and enjoy it. You just take care of yourself up there. All right. Do that for me. And I can't wait till next week. So uh, there's a game that I want to, uh, we just got from Bezier Games, which I think you may be interested in from Mr. Ted Allspock. 
Maybe we can get always. that table and try that. Uh, he always has some really cool games. Who knows what else is going to show up, but hopefully next week we can get together and actually play so that our wives won't be like, oh my gosh, you got you need me to record something else again. But we thank, we appreciate them so much uh, for coming on and doing that for us because it uh, at least gives us content. Boy, something's got to give us content because we've just been talking for, what, an hour and a half, and I don't know if we have any content. I don't think we have anything interesting that was said in the past hour and a half. <laughs> Oh, and I do want to give a big shout out um, to everybody who sponsored the survey. The prizes are going out. Thank you so much for the and congrats to the winners who got them. Some really nice portal games. Amazing. Uh, somebody got a big Empires box. Oh, I saw that. Dude, they got everything. Portal, thank mm-hmm. you so much. They got every expansion. And big shout out to Ben over on our Discord. He's been trying to hold these event nights. He did this one BGG races recently that I never won. I understood what he was trying to do. I finally got the grasp of it. And I was just like, okay, we got to plan something else because that's not for me. Yeah. Enjoyed that immensely. So big thanks to him for doing that. And more than anything, thank you for listening. But most importantly, wait for it. Wait for it. Keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening, everybody. We have our squirrelies coming up. And if you want to, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dyson Names. Come join our Discord channel. Like I said, maybe we can get Tony to the table next week and we can come back next time and actually have talk about a game that we played together. Tony, Bojangles Chicken offering a fish sandwich is like rolling dice and taking names, having a thoughtful review on a game. We got to stay in the lane, man. Got to. You couldn't have summed it up better if you tried.